Hello, Frank. My dad kidnapped me once. A holiday is what this will be. You and me, son. On 12th of October, 2004, my dad popped out to buy a bottle of milk and never came back. Frank Burton, that's my name as well, I'm Frank Jr. Of course, your investigation. I know about your secret flat. I have an irrational fear of traffic wardens. Stop sticking your nose into matters that don't concern you. I was Frank Burton's wife and Frank Burton's mother. That was everything I am. Maybe it's like kosher or halal. Kosher or halal bacon, that's a new one. Everything I am. You and me, son. Everything I am. Everything I Am is the brand new novel by the author and podcaster Frank Burton. Available as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook, which is currently available for Name Your Price. Find all the details at frankburton.co.uk. bonus bag my name's frank burton this time forget about the travel restrictions we're taking a trip to cape town south africa to talk to john bartman you'll have heard his music on the show before as a matter of fact he made the music for the trailer you just heard he makes music for films podcasts mind-blowing multimedia projects we'll get into that he also has his own band pravda he also has his own podcast Plus, lots of other musical projects. Also, he's a smart guy and he gave me some really good advice. You'll hear what he has to say later because it's included in this interview. Listen, this is a really good episode, right? You are going to enjoy it and I hope you find it in some way educational and inspirational. We'll get into the interview shortly, but first, as always, let's have a tune. I mentioned John's band, Pravda. Let's have something of theirs. This track is called Wooden Wendy and it's so far up my street I could literally listen to this on repeat for several days without getting bored and seeing as I've got some time on my hands right now I might just do that.
The name Pravda came up with when I was working in the States. And when I got back home and I kind of thought, okay, I need some slow cooker that I can keep on, you know, like a labor of love. I need to give a name to a labor of love. It doesn't have to be a band. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to communicate anything. It doesn't have to be in, on par with whatever's in vogue right now. I just want something that I can bundle all of my most like, heartfelt work under. And it was comic art and I was writing and I was doing all, I was running around Cape Town with a stencil and like stenciling the logo, which was this like face with headphones on, this kind of neutral face. I call it the ghost. I would like spray paint that on like people's boats and cars and run away like a real hooligan. I took down a street sign once. It was like a no stopping sign on the side of the highway. I went at night with like a, a screwdriver, took this thing down, brought it home and then I scraped off all the like black paint, which was for the the P of the or the S of the no stopping. I scraped that all off, and then I took duct tape and I like recreated the logo so it looked like it was like a no face, a no Pravda face sign. And then I went back and screwed it back up on the highway, and I drove past it for about five years, and every time it gave me a laugh because no one had come to take it down. And I'd never, I, not once, I've, I, there was one guy on Facebook that was like, finally, I found you, you bastard. Like, what does this mean? I've been thinking about it every day. But other than that, no one gave a crap. And that was, that was the spirit of it for me. It was doing what you do regardless of the, of, the, of the results and doing what you do in complete denial of uh, any sort of influence and any sort of whatever's trending does not matter it was completely created in a vacuum and that was the spirit of it and it kind of still is you know it, it was all about like being ignorant of what's trendy and just doing whatever whatever you do um so yeah part of that a big part of that is music and and now it's morphed again it's morphed a few times so Pravda is now um we're doing like i suppose mostly rock music actually i played a gig last week in town which was just a guitar guitar with overdrive my buddy Django on drums and my buddy Callan on bass it was like a sort of a green day whatever like a trio um and that's the first time we've done Pravda like that ever it's done we've in the past we've done electro swing and we've done um acoustic stuff and it just keeps on shifting it's just a name that I can kind of peg my creative work to I'm, I'm writing a book um well slowly writing a book um which would probably get pro published under the name Pravda it's just like it's a it's a it's an umbrella term that's what it is I think it's important man like I think it's important to have one thing that where it doesn't matter what you're doing it for or who you're doing it for it's important to have something that you're doing for yourself is what I'm saying and for me that's what Pravda is it's a weird name it means the truth in Russian um I was about 23 when I came up with the name it was originally Pravda 23 uh, and then I dropped the 23 and now it's just proud of it's a band. <laughs> that I've met has a clear bird's eye view of how music licensing works even if I listen to a podcast by some you know like the head of TuneCore like massive massive distributors no one's got a bird's eye view of the music industry so it's confusion reigns and uh, what generally happens is people come to me in like isolated emails and they're like found your music can I use it and I go sure go ahead and I kind of give them a written response saying you have permission to use my music because it's always really low stakes it's like a cat video or something really like basic 
on on occasion there have been times when um you know film producers have gotten in touch and uh stated that they need like me to fill out a, a license form that they've written and that's when i say okay hold the boat this is a commercial enterprise the rules are changed but for most people who are making podcasts and making videos the creative commons exists to put a legally defendable conversational precedent in place between the two parties um, so that, you know, later on down the line, there's no, you know, there's a, it's basically a contractual thing. It's like, and there are different levels to it. So the most open and freely available license is CC0, which is public domain. So as a creator, you're actually able to, to state, to, to claim that whatever you're putting out there, whether it's, you know, in a YouTube video or on SoundCloud or on your own website, what you're saying is this is CC0, which means that I waive all rights. I waive all rights to it. It's now part of the Creative Commons. I can't. I don't have a legal ground to stand on if somebody uses it in any way that they want. That's the most liberal kind of version of the license, and then it goes up from there. There's like, you can use it, but you can't. Uh, but you have to credit me. That's like uh, attribution. That's like level two or whatever. Then there's like share alike, which means you can use it, but um, if you know, you you whatever you create, you've got to forward the license on. In other words, people can remix your work too. And then there's like uh, no derivatives, ND, which is like saying you can use it, but you can't remix it. And so there's various levels of um, of kind of regulation around the work. But it's up to the creator to decide what exactly they want to do, uh, how they, how they want to label it. And I mean, all of this is to say, like, you know, we're trying to create like. We're trying to create laws in the wild, wild west. You know, like the internet is still a completely decentralized place. So the law is always trying to catch up with the technology. Generally speaking, if you want safe, pod-safe music, as they call it, for a podcast, approach the creators directly. And if you're not sure how to do that or you can't find them or you think that they're too important and they're not going to give you permission or whatever, then just look for PodSafe Music or Creative Commons Zero or Public Domain Music. These are places you could find the stuff that you're never going to get in trouble for, basically. The other thing to think about is YouTube. Um, they've got a way of flagging content that is, contains copyrighted material, which is not a train smash. It just means you can't monetize it. So um, if you're trying to make money off your YouTube videos, you can't use any uh, pre-licensed stuff. And podcasts are really interesting, though. Podcasting is a really interesting space right now because th- there hasn't there hasn't been enough of a groundswell for for the new laws, for the new round of laws to come in place. So people are getting away with a lot of copyright infringement, and of course, you know, like Spotify, which is benefiting hugely from podcasting at the moment, is kind of just washing its hands of it and waiting waiting for the court cases to come in so that they can start settling people are now submitting like whole albums of of copyrighted material as a podcast because i mean it's it kind of it, it kind of beggars belief like you you think about it like pot, spotify has to pay out for streams of music but no one's paying anyone for streams of podcasts at the moment youtube is if you are a, if you get your podcast on a video and then release it as a youtube video but i mean who really watches a lot of podcasts on YouTube. The numbers are all through the apps, you know, through the actual aggregators. And no one's paying anyone for podcast content, except for advertisers who are, you know, baked into the content. But that's got to change, man. We've got to start monetizing this original content. It's it's benefiting the listeners and it's benefiting the distributors. It's just not benefiting the creators.
So yeah, I've got uh, I've got a kind of a bee in my bonnet about all this stuff. I, I did a whole bunch of research a while ago uh, about blockchain music streaming platforms and alternatives to this current sort of climate of this status quo, which is tech giants uh, creating these addictive platforms and then um, making them free freely available to people, but also at the same time getting massive quantities of um, data from from that exchange and people are kind of none the wiser. Um, so we've we've all got to do a little bit more research, I think, before we give away our stuff. That's my my two cents on the matter. There's like some incredible stuff hap- happening. Um, you know, fictional podcasting, like audio dramas and. I'm, I mean, I'm blown away. I've always been into audio. Um, I've, you know, I remember sitting, you know, cross-legged on the floor as, you know, as a 10-year-old or whatever, listening to the hi-fi or listening to Disney records. Um, but it's like the, the taking the combination of speaking and sound effects and music and the scripting stories in a way that activates the listener's imagination, to me, is it, the barrier to entry is higher. It's much harder to get into it than to, like, sit, you know sit down in front of netflix or whatever but once audio dramas have their hook on you and you actually close your eyes and you're in the story they go deeper and this is why audio drama is very well suited to the horror genre i've had some truly terrifying experiences with podcasts like darkest night which is like recorded binaurally means it's like kind of you know what binaural sound is like 3d sound where they put microphones in the ears of a, a model head have you heard about this? They they take really sensitive microphones and stick them in the in the ear in the pinnae of a model head uh, of a human, and what that does is it tricks your brain. So they record a stereo feed, but because of the shape of the ear lobes and the size of the head and all these different factors, it tricks your ear into thinking that you're much more present in the room or in the space than uh, just a typical stereo feed. There's a great video on YouTube called The Virtual Barbershop. Go check that out. Um, so Darkest Night uses that system to record, and w- along with incredible you know, acting and scripting and um, sound effects and music and everything, they create these kind of you know, short it's like a horror anthology series. And some of the villains or the monsters or whatever in those... Um, I'm, not, I'm not even into horror, and I've just been like really, truly amazed at the quality of some, some of these, these audio podcasts. Another one is... Um, carrier by this new kind of hot la podcast studio called um q code media they've done blackout which had um rami malik in it which was pretty cool and uh, they've also done one they've been involved in one called the edge of sleep which was a total mind bender um lie awake at night like just listening to the stuff and uh, carrier's also got a bit of sci-fi in it um so i'm like really really impressed at at what's happening in the audio space and i feel kind of that I need to support it. I feel like I need to, you know, shower the the people who are really giving it a shot with with uh, with with you know with love and support because it's really like I, I mean the more people spend time away from a screen, like right now, the, I think the better the world's going to be. I think we're all like kind of we've we've taken the bait um, and we need to get away from screens. And I think we're always going to want stories. Um, there's no stopping that. But if it's one step closer to like being around an actual campfire or listening to someone tell a story, except there's like music and sound effects and it's well scripted, um, I think that's the way forward for me, you know, audio drama and uh, fictional podcasting. So I'm trying to get more into that as a musician, yeah. But I've only done a handful of contributions for audio dramas. The one, the one most reliable one is an old school friend of mine called Tom, Tom McNally. He's based in Brighton. And I do, I have done a lot of um, once-off kind of character themes for his fictional medieval comedy podcast called um, The Saga of the European King. It's this epic, <laughs> they're actually, they're awesome. They, they're my crew, man. Those, the Brighton pack, um, I must link them all up. It's Josh and Amy and Tom and they and uh, Bryce and they all get together in these room in this room every so often and they just record this like rip-roaring escapade of this like mad king who goes across Europe and just causes chaos and just typical kind of like 
um, I don't know, very British in a way, but also very funny, you know, like very uh, um, off offbeat and quirky. So yeah, I've done character themes for them. One of, one of those character themes is actually my, my currently my most popular track by download. Um, so I mean, like I've got a lot of people to thank for helping, giving me the opportunity to get into the scene, you know. My first prize going forward would be to just basically spend a lot more time on um, audio drama, scoring like a whole series. Uh, I'd like to do more science fiction and fantasy. Um, and I've got, um, yeah, and it's, I'm in a good space right now. I've, I'm kind of well positioned to help people without, you know, the, the budget necessarily for a f composer to actually get something that's better than just a bunch of royalty-free tracks chosen at random. You know, what I'd like to do is bring an identity to a series. So be able to actually have a sound that accompanies whatever they're creating. You know, I like to have an identity. That's, that's the stage that I'm trying to get into now. And you, you have your own podcast as well, which is great. I've been listening to that. Um, well, that's one of those labors of love. It's called How I Make Music. Um, and I've done about, I've finished 47 episodes now. I think 46 have been published. Um, and it's based on Song Exploder. Song Exploder is that um, uh, it's deconstructing pop songs. So the it's a single single voice usually on the podcast, which is an artist and they talk about various moments in a single song and then they play the individual stems from that song while they talk about them so they might say the strings were you know we came up with the idea for the strings when we were sitting outside on the front porch or whatever they try and they try and make it like a bit of a storytelling thing but what makes it good is that the quality is really high because artists have access to recording studios and also the they have access to the master files and I was like fascinated by this format. There's another chap called um, Charlie McCarran, who's actually now an Emmy-nominated uh, composer from in Minneapolis, I think. Um, and he's a really nice guy. And when I was traveling around uh, Queensland in like 2017, I was actually doing some writing, music writing work for a German label at the time. Um, and I was living with my, sis my sister-in-law and her family. And we'd do these workaway missions around Queensland. We'd go for like two weeks and just go and like harvest mulch, you know, just like in the sun all day with like a spade. And just like, you know, th chucking mulch everywhere and like putting cardboard down. And I got into podcasting at that time, like in, in earnest, because I was listening to podcasts all day for four hours. So I binged this guy's whole, and he did like 200 episodes, Charlie McCarran. It was called Charlie's Music Production Lessons. And the other one was called Composer Quest. And both of them had the exact same format, which was like, he talks about this uh, part that he wrote, and then he talks about why he used an arpeggiator, and then he talks about like how to cut the lows, and just basic stuff for an audio producer. But being on the receiving end of it and understanding everything he was talking about was like, to me, it was like something clicked. Like, I, I, I it was only three years later that I started mine, but it, the whole time it's been percolating. Like, I'm a teacher, you know, what I want to do is I want to discover my own thought processes by revisiting stuff that I've produced sometimes very quickly and then I go I listen to it carefully and I separate the parts out and I play them back and it's the same format that I'm doing as Song Exploder and Charlie McCarran stuff it's taking apart the songs choosing what is significant and then commenting on that with a little bit more insight to be like oh yeah that's right like kind of learning on the job so for example I've got a track uh, that I mentioned. It's called 90s Sitcom Joy. And it's this, um, it's basically a cheesy, it's supposed to be like the intro to Full House. You, do you, ever, you know Full House? You remember Full House? There's this really bad 90s sitcom with Bob Saget. It is really, really old and really bad. 
Um, so I thought I'd make a bit of a, make a bit of fun of it. And so, yeah, I'll say, here's me singing, and you'll just hear do, 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 do. Everything's just do, do, do. And then here's the guitar, and I quad track that, and here's the drums. This is a plugin that I used, or whatever. Um, and then I try and, like, I guess it's for people who are interested in, in unraveling how music composition works. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not standing on a podium going, listen to me. That's why I call it how I make music and not how to make music. Because it's just one guy's insight and maybe it can be of use to someone else. That's the point of that whole thing. So I'm just going to keep on trucking with that. I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's been almost 50 episodes. Um, and I'm starting to get some insight into who it's for and what it's about. But that's a slow burner. I'll probably still be doing that in, in five or ten years, yeah. I hope so. Don't quote me. Because of South Africa's history, we have music that was recorded um, often very quickly and sloppily in recording studios in the 50s. And subsequently, some of the records survived and been digitized. So we got our, we got our hands on a whole bunch of the stuff, um, old vintage um, MP3s and WAV files from the South African archives. When I say we, this is the brainchild of a guy called Brendan Argent, who's part of Cape Town Swing which is the swing dance community here. Like, I'm sure you've got something like that there too, like Lindy Hop and Charleston, people who get dressed up in old-fashioned clothes and go dancing. And it's a real show. It's, I mean, the, people are really passionate about it. And from, I also just think it's great. It's super healthy. No one's on their phones. I mean, we actually don't get some of our gigs re- like renewed at bars because no one drinks. <laughs> so they want crowds that drink, but this is like this healthy, happy... Anyway, so the band the band was created to serve the needs of the dance community. They were just tired of dancing to the same, you know, CDs or recordings. So someone had the idea of putting a band together, made a few phone calls, and got a couple of Cape Town jazz musicians together. That was about three years ago. But it's being run so professionally. Like, there's a vision every year in March coming up now. They've got Mother City Hop, which is um, where they bring international instructors uh, down to Cape Town for a week or so and they have these like classes with the locals um, and one of the other spin-offs of, of all of this like excellent organization is the idea of transcribing some of these recordings that were preserved and and releasing an album so that's what happened I think last year in March it's called Echoes of Sophia Town and Sophia Town was a you know a real hot spot for like uh, for like um action and you know like in the 50s and stuff everyone was dancing and partying there was a real culture part of south african history 
Um, so yeah, we recorded like eight, I think 12 songs from that era and the whole band was involved. There were about eight of us um, and we got CDs pressed. It was crowdfunded. I think we raised about $12,000 to um, press the CDs and vinyls. Uh, and I mean, to me, most importantly is that the music is now, it, it, the music has been written down, you know. So if anyone in anywhere else in the world wants to play it, uh, big band ensembles, anything like that, we've done the work. We've, 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 you know, there's a cultural element to it. That's it's more than just most bands in the music industry. It's it's really just you know, it's an it's it's a there's a profit motive. It's an it's an industry thing, and it's also with us. Of course, we've got a profit motive. But I just like the fact that the byproduct of that has been redressing some of the the injustices of South African history. Like that means quite a lot to me. Being able to contribute to that, you know. So be that cat and jump for joy. You take that link, you take that beat, you get yourself right on your feet. One, two, three. So I am interested in finding out about um, one of your notes, which was about voice map using GPS to trigger audio to create fantasy theme walking tour through a forest. It's a lot to unpack here, no? And so what, what's that all about then? Well, at its heart, it's the, the technology now exists to attach a MP3 file to a location, meaning that you pre-download the MP3 file to your phone and then when you get to a certain location, it automatically triggers the download, uh, sorry, the playback of that file. That's basically what the app's core functionality is. It was started by, it was started here in Cape Town. They've got tours all over the world now uh, by a guy called Ian Manley, who's my boss, my actually my on, ongoing sort of boss because um, I'm still freelancing occasionally with them. And uh, yeah, and so the primary application of this technology, GPS and audio, is um, it has been walking tours and driving tours and cycling tours so that when the user starts the tour, they get instructions um, in their earphones. They, they push play on the app, uh, but they have to be standing in the right place. So the descriptions and uh, the route outline tells you, okay, go and stand next to this sign on the corner of first and third streets and then when you get there push play and then when you push play it tells you exactly firstly what you're seeing which is a bit of a weird experience and then it tells you what to do like very exactly so part of my job there was to help contributors people from all over the place um, put these tours together I was responsible for scripting and also recording people in in person so that they could their audio could be on the app and I'd been doing it for about two years and um, at the same time, I mean, I love the outdoors. There's this route that I that I have near my house, and so I decided to do a grand epic journey for anyone who was into the outdoors and um, fantasy. And I turned, I took all of my skill and experience with voice map, and I created this. Um, it's about an hour and a half long walking route through these beautiful forests. Man, like Cape Town is known for its beauty. And as a local, you know where all the best spots are. So I created this um, fantasy walking tour with the help of a British actress, uh, Amy Sutton. I mentioned her earlier, actually. She voices it, and uh, she's got this kind of sort of a light Irish accent, almost like a grandmother, very gentle, and telling you all these stories along the way about what you're seeing, but creatively reinterpreted. So for example... You might look up, she'll say, look up to your right, you'll see there there's a mountain. And then she'll explain how, you know, there, there was once, uh, 
the the dragon of Kinabalu lived up there and then tell the story of the dragon of Kinabalu and at that stage in comes the Irish flute and suddenly we've got a soundtrack and this you know this storytelling this oral culture and this depth of tradition like gets imparted while you're walking through the forest so I mean it's for me it's just this whole experience man it's, it's like walking through a movie it's the first thing I said when I after I experienced it, I went back to Ian and I said this is amazing this is all of that love that I have for audio is now like the rubber has hit the road, you know. Now I'm like walking through these creations instead of just listening to them while I'm sitting on the floor. So I had to, I had to pour my whole my heart into that, and yeah, it took me it took me about six months, I think. I did it kind of on the sly, <laughs> didn't really tell anyone, and then towards the end they got the they got the uh, the picture that I was creating this big thing. And it hasn't it hasn't been like a runaway success or anything, but the people who do it like really really love it. They're they're really blown away. You know, if the technology holds up and everything goes smoothly, um, there's some stories in there that are like yeah. It's and I still walk that route, and you know, it's uh, it's very it's very much alive for me. Um, that whole the, the the marrying of fantasy and uh, using this tech to bring it to life. You know? Basically, there's a school of thought. One of the questions that you asked me earlier was, uh, you touched on how to promote your music, and this is a this is a topic that a lot of musicians kind of listen out for because every everyone's a little bit desperate. Everyone's a little bit desperate for attention and plays, and this is also true of podcasters. And we're a little bit. I think a little bit too fixated on play counts and we're, we're a little bit too impressionist impressionable when it comes to you know j- judging the status of a production according to how public you know, its public play count is ranked so what I mean is there has to be another metric that we are paying attention to other than the number of plays it has. Everything seems to get filtered through that these days. And as a result, we're losing out on really good stuff. Like I'm talking about stuff that really thrills you as a person. Um, you know, everyone laughs at the big jokes. Like I love Key and Peele on YouTube. Like like those comedians, everything they do I find funny. And that's broad appeal comedy. But there's a lot of niche stuff out there. In fact, everything's out there like if you want to if you want to watch a video of you know two mongolian dwarves like juggling you know (laughs) cricket balls you can find that kind of stuff nowadays if that's your thing but we're we're kind of the way we're thinking has become is becoming a little bit too homogenized so what i'm trying to say is what i'm trying to do is like promote the idea that you've got to hunt down good stuff the good stuff that you're craving, you're, the entertainment that you're craving, and the storytelling that you're craving, it's not going to be the stuff that gets thrown in your face at the top of a feed or the next video in an autoplay. That's not where you find the good stuff. You really have to hunt it down. And there are enough people out there making things nowadays. There really are enough people that you can um, link up with someone who shares what this great term. It's called your psychographic it's not your demographic because it doesn't matter how old they are or you know what they look like and it's not your geographic it's not where they are there's this other thing that's emerged now as information has become so much more liquid we're able to communicate one-on-one at like the micro level so find these people who are part of your tribe this is all seth godin minimum minimum viable audience type of 
stuff. Look up the minimum viable audience and definitely if you're any kind of creator, the best thing that you can do right now is to go and find a podcast called Akimbo, A-K-I-M-B-O. All right, I started listening to it about a year ago. There have been over 100 episodes. I binged them all. It's a guy called Seth Godin and he talks about being a creative in this time and how you have to think in order to survive the dip, in order, the, the dip in interest between when you start something and all your friends and family love it and suddenly everybody disappears. Then if what you're doing is serving an audience, okay, if what you're doing is serving a psychographic, there will come a time in the long end, the, the long tail, later, that people start to notice what you're doing and you actually start to have value to society and that's a career, all right? Buying Facebook likes, persuading influential people, and high play counts is not a career. That's a desperate scramble to be on top of the next fad. It's not sustainable, all right? So my message, embrace the minimum viable audience product, look up Akimbo and anything by Seth Godin, and start to make, stop making people want your stuff, start making stuff that people want, right? All of the work is on you. Everything's on you. Okay, you have to do all the work. I've I've just spent about three months publishing, 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 mostly audio drama soundtracks. I've been publishing all kinds of soundtracks for, for years now. The last three months, I've been focusing, getting more specific and getting into audio drama soundtracks because I sense that there's a community out there that needs my generosity up front so that I can actually contribute something of value. And if you want to make a career out of it, once enough people realize what you're up to and see the value in what you're doing, then a sale drops out of it. But it's not about going and shoving it in people's faces and shouting louder than everyone and going, this is what you need now and trying to persuade people to make to, to, to buy your stuff. That way is finished. That's not the way we do things anymore. People don't interact with stuff they don't care about. The only thing that we care about is what a trusted source, like a friend, tells you. Advertising doesn't work. Facebook likes don't work. Nothing works except for the trusted referral of a friend. So you really have to actually do the work and actually really prove that you're worth it. That's why I'm always on Twitter. I'm just like, love the show. Write a review on this show. Make sure this guy gets some web traffic. I have an interest in everyone around me succeeding. I want everyone around me to win. I want everyone around me to get more plays. I want everyone to make more money. I want everyone to have better shows and better everything. That's my motive. And as a result of that, the community supports me. So I'm a servant of the community, not the star. Yeah, This is something musicians need to understand. You're a servant of the community. Forget what you've seen on TV. You're a servant of the people are there for a good time. You know. Yeah, cool. So that's my lecture slash rant over i i really really hope someone gets something out of that i for one totally agree with what you're saying and um you, I like, you, you may well um what do you think of what i've done right um i've because uh, all this stuff about things being judged on the number of plays and the number of likes and the number of followers and social media mm -hmm. all that sort of thing i've just got fed up with that so i've yeah I came off social media came off all the social media platforms. I also came off YouTube because I've created this video series. It was on YouTube. It, it got, a, it got a, a little bit of interest, not a lot. It, it just annoys me that um, kind of YouTube is, is, is very much focused on the number of likes and the number of plays. So what I did was I took the whole video series down off YouTube and I put it on my website. And the only place to see it is on my website now. This is the thing. If, if you like the other things that I do, this if you like my writing if you like this and that then you're going to like this video series so this is for you if you're on my website there you go and it's not anywhere else it's not on it's not on any other platform yes. apart from on my website yeah i know exactly uh, your motives for doing that and i think it's a smart move and it's going to seem like a stupid one in the short run but ultimately whatever platform you choose to distribute your work at some point they're going to turn around and stick a knife in your ribs and say, right, you want to keep talking to those people you call your fans? Now you're going to have to pay. That's what happens. That's how they make their money. So you have to boost the post or you have to, you know, um, subscribe for premium or whatever. So the long game 
is what's important now. Because the long game, the long game is the only way to demonstrate value to your society. And value, demonstrating value is the only way to build trust. And building trust is the only way to make a sale. I say the only way, I'm not a Sith. It's not a black and white thing. But what I mean is over time now, as we get more and more into this digital age, where people amazingly are paying money for digital products in the same way that they pay money for a can of beans. It blows my mind, but it's true, right? I'm, I'm both the purchaser and the recipient of money for digital products. Everyone's shifting away slowly from this industrial era way of thinking, which is about shouting the loudest and limited shelf space. Shelf space is now unlimited, right? It's the spectrum is more detailed than ever, which means that slowly slowly as more people come online they realize that they're not actually satisfied with banal generic homogenized averaged out mediocre crap it might satisfy them in the short term but everyone gets old and everyone grows up and you want things that are of more substance and that's where you know the frank burtons and the john bartmans of the world come in where it's like that guy's been doing this for 10 fucking years you know i've never given a thought to it but that there's something there because we all want what's authentic. We, if it's for everyone, it's for no one. We want something that's for us. And who's us? That's the psychographic. And that's what your job as an artist or a creator is, to find out who is this for. If you can answer that question and you start making work for them, that's a career. That's the path that I'm on. And like I said, I'm not, it's not a career yet. Fortunately, I've got other jobs going. But I'd rather be on this ladder than boosting Facebook posts. Definitely. We live in such an amazing time, dude. We've we've got to take advantage of, of these tools that we have in front of us, you know, like it's it's a really, really promising time for people like you and me. We're gonna go down to the river at midnight, baby. We're gonna have ourselves a time. I've never seen an angel in a riverboat, honey. We're gonna set the night on fire. There's a dark moon rising and a bottle of moonshine. And tonight I'm gonna make you mine. Just you me down by the riverside, honey. When the moon is hanging high. When the lights go low, you're gonna be my baby. Sugar, you'll find There's a dark moon rising and a bottle of moonshine And tonight I'm gonna make you mine Set the night on fire. 
listening extra special thanks to mr john bartman what a legend and what positivity i hope that's lifted you up a little bit you know what i mean all the links to john's various projects are in the show notes check out pravda check out pebble shakers check out my stuff too frankburton.co.uk as mentioned earlier it's the only place where you can watch all 12 episodes of the ragbag rambler which is a really good web series presented by me see you soon Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.